0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. All right, today we are diving into the numbers. It's nerding out time here on Fantasy NBA Today. Welcome to the show, everybody. Simulcast, YouTube, recorded. I guess recorded isn't technically a simulcast because it comes out later, but it's all happening. Penny Lane told me so. I am Dan Vaspers. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a Sports Ethos presentation. I think I'm a little bit off-center for the live video viewers, but you know what? I don't care. I make no bones about it. I am not that great on video. But we do need video content here at Sports Ethos, so it's time to do it. Hopefully everybody can see the numbers on their screen on the video side. For those listening to this recorded, I will repeat all of them. I want to make sure that everybody knows what we're about to get into today. Today is the sort of true beginning, if you want to call it that, of the how did everything go portion of our off-season stuff. I, uh, I must, however, give a quick shout out. And I'm probably gonna mess up his last name, but Chris Cootley might be Coutley. Chris, however you pronounce your last name, apologies. We'll go Coutley. Came through after Wednesday's show, where I talked about how Yahoo changes their X slash pre-ranks after the season starts, which is just the sleaziest shyster move ever. So that next year they can be like, hey, look how good our X ranks were. Boo! Boo earns. Shenanigans, I call. I have no idea why they do it. They're no longer pre ranks if you adjust it in a direction that it belongs four weeks into the season. That's cheating. I'm sure they can just be like, oh, you know, preseason, whatever. Like, it's not. No. All you really need to see is that Cade Cunningham's preseason rank is listed at 298. On Yahoo right now. If you think Cade Cunningham was drafted near 298. Before any of his injury stuff surfaced. You're out of your damn mind. Yahoo, what are you doing? Where do those numbers even come from? Maybe they're not trying to cheat the system. Maybe they just did something dumb repeatedly. But it's dumb repeatedly. So ignore those. But luckily... Chris, who well, I'm just going to call you Chris so I don't keep messing up your last name. Chris had a screenshot of Yahoo's preseason ranks on opening day, October the 17th this year. I think that's when it started, right? Or was that the day before? Day before. Beautiful. So, after doing our... uh. whatever you want to call it, our sort of primer episode on Wednesday where I explained what this process was about. We managed to get the numbers that I wanted all along. And if you guys need a very quick reboot on why this is important, here's why. So in case you missed Wednesday's show, this is the extremely brief recap of that episode. What we're about to do over... I honestly don't know how many parts. It might be three. It might be five. It's probably not going to be one. It's probably not going to be more than five. Somewhere in the two to six range. Two to five range. Episodes of this show. Where we look at how Yahoo's X ranks did. Compared to the final result of a season gone by. Two days ago, I thought we were going to have to compare ADPs to it. But frankly... ADP is less important for what we're trying to do here because Yahoo X-Rank is what everybody's looking at as they're making their picks unless they adjust their board. And there's always uh, you know there's you know one or two teams in a league that do a complete board reshuffling. I actually find a board reshuffling to be confusing. Yes, I have the order of guys that I want to take and I have my own handicapping that I've done. But I like to look at the board that I think everybody else is looking at, which is typically, when you just sign into a Yahoo draft room, organized by their X-Rank. Not their ADP, not their projections even. X-Rank, which is this goofball, preseason, mushed in with expectations, mushed in with God knows what, catch-all thing that Yahoo uses to rank their players running up to the season. Or it used to be X-Rank, now it's called pre rank. There was a while it was called O-Rank. X's and O's, they're just hugs and kisses, everybody. Hugs and kisses. And then you draft them. But the reason that this is important is we want to know, for one, is the order that Yahoo has their players, is that actually helpful or detrimental? Or neither, actually, is also an option. And also, and this is a little bit more of a gray area, but are there areas where it is more helpful or detrimental than others? Meaning, are there times during a draft where you can ignore the X ranks completely? Are there times where you should be paying some attention to them? Are there times you should be paying a ton of attention to them? I don't think that there's ever a time you can ignore them completely because, again, it does to some degree shape what your opponents are doing in your fantasy draft. So that's why we're going to look at how this compares to how the season finished. We have a board up on the screen for the YouTubers that can see right now, and that board is an Excel spreadsheet that I've filled in every year for one, two, three, four, five, six seasons and running now. That compares both the player's final totals rank, final per-game rank, to their X rank. And then, as you sort of work your way across the different columns here, it looks at the difference between those, which is the uh, most obvious deal. It looks at the absolute value. Remember, we talked about that a bit on Wednesday's show. Sort of the running absolute value for each thing. A live sum of the difference, a live sum of the absolute values, which should go up faster, right? Because a sum, a a positive and a negative, would actually bring that number down a little bit. On the absolute value side, it's just going to keep going up forever. A running average of those two different sums. And then what's probably the most important or second most important part, trend lines, Per 5, per 10, that sort of stuff. Sort of a uh, last 5 or last 10 maybe is a better way to describe it, and I should probably change that nomenclature on the board. While I'm thinking about it, it's not per 5, it's last 5. It's not per 10, it's last 10. And same story for absolute values as well. So that gives you a trend line that you don't get by just looking at the overall number. Because in the overall number, the first time there's a terrible pick, the running absolute value tally is going to jump, <laughs> and then it's just sort of never going to come back down again, because even if you have a handful of guys in a row that are relatively decent picks, that are basically like closer than the initial rank of that player, it'll slowly work its way down, but again, the second you get one bad pick in there, it jumps right back up again, which you don't get in the last five or last 10, those little jumps only last for, you guessed it, five or 10 picks. So let's just dive in here at the top and take a look at a couple of metrics. And today's show is probably going to be largely about understanding what the different metrics are telling us as I flip around on the screen and, and try to read through what I'm showing everyone as well. This, by the way, would be a great opportunity for those of you listening on the recorded side to go navigate over to youtube.com sportsethos because this is probably going to be a much easier show to follow if you're looking at the graphic as well. Just saying, you don't have to, but it probably would make your life more simple. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus. Not available in all locations. Okay. So, starting at the top, and I've done a nice thing here where I've frozen the pain of player names, so we can always have that over on the left side of the screen. The top... uh, 10 effectively um i know it's sort of weird to look at i'm looking at the screen right now and it has that number on the side but because there are a couple of rows before we get into the player names the row number doesn't correspond to the start rank number so just remember that we're doing this in chunks of 10 i maybe i should have frozen that pane as well uh but i didn't so you know screw it all here we go top 10 players on the board by X-Rank this season. Nikola Jokic, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Luka Doncic, Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, James Harden, Karl-Anthony Towns, Tyrese Halliburton. That was how the X-Ranks were uh, the day before the season started. How did those players do by totals over the course of this year? Jokic, number one. we A winner. Joel Embiid, number three. Durant, 33. These, by the way, these numbers are taken from Yahoo, so I wanted to compare their start number to their final number. I know that uh, different sites, Basketball Monster, Ethos, Hashtag, whatever, they have slightly different final numbers for these players, but we went off Yahoo. Luca 15. Steph, 19. Tatum, 4. Harden, 30. Cat, 232. Halliburton, 20. Those are by totals again, friends. So here's the thing. And again, as you look at this stuff, now different things happen for different reasons. Giannis' ranks were horrible because he had one of the worst free throw shooting seasons of all time, basically, in the history of fantasy tracking. Cats' numbers were terribly low on the total side because he missed a bunch of ball games. Two different reasons. Same general result. Giannis's number not nearly as bad as Cats, but still, what does this do? Well, you can look at the difference column now to see zero, negative one for Embiid. We'll just read through it here. Durant minus thirty, Giannis negative one twenty nine, Luca minus ten, Steph minus thirteen, Tatum positive three, Harden negative twenty two, Cat negative two hundred and twenty three, and Halliburton negative ten. Absolute value of all of that stuff is just the positive iteration of all of that stuff, and so the next couple of columns make a lot of sense. just a running sum after the first 10. The live sum, not absolute value, is negative 435. The absolute value sum over that stretch is positive 441. The only difference being that Tatum goes from uh, helping, if you want to call it that, putting in air quotes, the live running sum to just being a small number that adds into the Absolute value as well, so basically a th- a three a positive three on the on a very large negative sum becomes a stays a positive three in a in a very large positive absolute value sum. So it's a six point swing effectively, and you'll see this happen more and more as you get more misses in the upward direction, which yeah, admittedly don't happen. Uh, terribly often here in the early going, because there just really isn't that much space for them to go above their number. Like, once you get to Sabonis at 23, he was a positive 14, Then that that's where the things sort of diverge a little bit quicker. That's a 28-point swing there. And then Donovan Mitchell, a couple slots later, that's a 36-point swing, and so on and so forth. Why are these numbers so far relevant? Well, they're mostly relevant so that we can build them into a metric that is actually interesting to us. But it is interesting to to note as well that the average miss size as you go here jumped up at Giannis from Durant after three picks, the average miss size was negative 10. It jumped up after Giannis to negative 40. This is a nice way of remembering. Okay, well... Lucky for us, once Giannis comes out of the mix, which doesn't really happen in this case because Cat gets thrown in uh, as Giannis is coming out, so it never really fully fixes itself. But at least that pick, when you're looking at last five, last ten, stuff like that, at least that the Giannis thing and then the Cat thing, those do eventually come out of the number. That's important for us. Because in the first 12 picks, you had two guys who missed massive chunks of the season in Cat and Lamelo Ball, so their totals ranks were god-awful. Giannis, you had just a terrible free-throw shooting season. That's why his number was terrible. But what you can also do here is, okay, look, like, you know, we didn't know. Sure, Cat was going to miss a couple of ball games because that's been his situation after trying to play in every single game forever. And then with Lamella Ball, it was hard to know. I think we figured that he would try to play through the season. But what you can also do with these players is you can see what the numbers look like with and without them in the mix. That's important for us as well. Let's just do that here with Giannis. Let's, for argument's sake, make Giannis a perfect hit on the total side. So I'll change that 133 to a 4. And all of a sudden now... All of the metrics shift substantially for effectively the first eight picks because then you get to Cat and you'd have to deal with him again. Now suddenly the miss size over the first eight picks instead of being 40 is more like 10. Whatever you 11 if you want to talk, talk about it on the absolute value side 10 if you're talking about it without absolute value. So first of all still not great. By the way, for uh, the top 10, basically, to be missing by 10 on average, Durant plays a role in that to some degree, but so does Harden, and then Steph being off by 13, and Doncic off by 10, and Tyrese Halliburton off by 10. There were actually quite a few, not big misses. The big misses were Giannis and Cat, if you want to even call them that. Neither one of them belonged where they went. Giannis, you could make a better argument than Cat. Certainly, at least like with Cat on the per-game side and Gobert coming to town, there was just no way that he held his same value as a a full-time power forward that he was as a center. I mean, that was an easy handicap. With Giannis, it is always going to come down to his free-throw shooting, so he's a guy you're only taking if you're punting anyway, which is why I feel kind of comfortable just kind of taking him out of this equation. Because he didn't belong there, if you were attacking all nine categories, and so his rank will never really be there He got closer last year. Free throw stroke was up into the, what, low to mid-70s finally, and then that thing. (whistles) Kaboom. So what does this teach us now when we pull Giannis? And you know what? Let's, for argument's sake, what was Giannis? 133 here? Let's remember it. i got to write this down because i got to put it back at some point. Let's also take Cat out of the equation for the top 10, and let's make him basically a null set. How did the top 10 do if you remove brutal injury to cat and punt Giannis? Okay, at the end of the top 10, the last five is actually maybe not the number we want. Luckily, it's basically the same as last 10. The miss size was 8.3, negative 8.3 for the running average, and 8.9 for the absolute value side. Again, still not great. But what we've learned here is that even inside the top 10, the X-Ranks were typically off by about nine slots. It's always going to be in the negative direction because you can't go higher than the first round, so it's really hard to put sort of an upward a win in this department. All you're really looking for in the first round is a is getting close to a hit. And it's hard to argue that that's what happened here. Five of the first 10 players, no, excuse me, because I'm looking at the two null set guys, three of the first 10 players drafted actually finished as first round players by totals. Three out of 10 which certainly tells you something on the head-to-head side. It tells you, if you feel strongly about something, you don't necessarily have to go with consensus. However, there's another side to this as we scroll to the right on our screen. And again, let's take Giannis out of the mix for the per-game side of this. What was this? Okay, let's uh, turn Giannis into a null set for per-game players. On the per-game side... The ranks of those top 10 guys, which again, Jokic, Embiid, Durant, Giannis, Luka, Steph, Tatum, Harden, Towns, and Halliburton, was 1, 2, 5, 4, 15. That was Luka. Sorry, Giannis wasn't 4. Excuse me. Scratch that. Giannis was like 90-something, but he was punt again. Um, Steph was 6. Tatum was 10. Harden was 18. Cat was 40. Halliburton was 8. On a per-game side... The first round was actually much, much closer to a win. This is actually a really important area of discrepancy. And it's also really important that we take the right lessons away from this. Or non-lessons, as it might be. Ignoring again the Giannis punt. And unfortunately, we have to leave Kat there because you know, that's where they had him. Even though we knew he didn't belong as a late first round per game guy. I thought he would be like a mid to late second per gamer. And then he fell to the early fourth, but there was injury stuff involved in that as well. And I think it's quite reasonable. I, he probably finishes as like a mid early to mid third, if he doesn't get hurt this year, which is still off from the uh, second round that I think most of us thought he would probably drop back to. But regardless Yahoo had him at 9, so that's where we're going to treat him here. But, again, last 5, last 10, all that kind of stuff is actually really relevant here. Because before you get to Cat, meaning the first 8 players, Jokic and B, Durant, Giannis, sorry, not Giannis, Skip Giannis, Luka, Curry, Tatum, and Harden, those guys had a miss-size, absolute value miss-size, mind you, of point. One three. Again, removing Giannis from the equation because he's a punt guy, and so his nine cat ranks are never going to make sense. Three point one three. That's really impressive. Now, yes, Giannis. Uh, by taking him out of this, it actually does muck up my numbers just the tiniest bit because he's treated as a perfect hit instead of a instead of nothing. But regardless. We're talking about misses on the first two guys of zero. KD, a miss size of two. I mean, the top three guys had an average miss size of .67. And then, even Luca, like, I, you know, again, there's just no reason why he should be getting drafted inside the top five with his free throw situation and turnover situation for 9-cat. But even Luca was only a 10-slot miss. Steph was actually a perfect hit. Pre, pre-rank of 6. Per-game rank of 6. Tatum, positive 3. Harden, minus 10. Not great. Playing alongside Embiid, it never... There was a stretch where Harden was like right around number 12, but it, it tapered off. And then, let's not even speak to the fact that Halliburton was only a miss by 2. Dame was only a miss by 4. Lamello, for all of his issues this year, was only a miss of 18 on the per-game side. Kyrie, 4. There were actually quite a few players here in the top, Now I've lost track of where we're at, 14, 13, I think it's 13 players that I've listed, that were pretty damn close to being hits. This is, by the way, only removing Giannis from this equation because injury stuff, yes, it matters, obviously, for whether or not your team is winning, but for a ranking standpoint, it doesn't matter as much here when you're looking at it as a per-game average you know, LaMelo missed half the season, but on a per-game side, he was still number 30. So we're talking about here, after the first 13 picks, if you want to go that far, the absolute value miss size was still only 6.67. I mean, that's, I, I, I don't know. Personally, I think that's pretty good. I think that's pretty good, and frankly... Looking at the per game side probably tells us more from an informational standpoint than looking at the total side. Because on the total side, you pretty much have to null out every player who skipped the season. So lamelo has gotta be null, set it out, Cade's gotta get pulled out, Zion probably has to get pulled out. You can yank out Middleton and Ingram and Beal and Vassell and pretty much and Simmons. Colin Sexton, basically anybody on the board that missed like 40 games or more, their totals rank doesn't really tell us anything. It tells us they got badly hurt, but that's not in, that's not fun information. That's not math. That's just, oh, that guy got hurt. Is there anything we can do with this going forward? So, for a lot of our discussion on these numbers, we're going to be looking more at the per game side. By the way, uh, I see you guys in the chat room, Chris. It is cootly. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you clarifying that. Yeah, interpreting the running averages for totals is too hard. Just like, just like I was just saying. I have, I admit, Chris, this is what Chris put in the chat room, and I wasn't even looking there. The moving average makes much much more sense for the per game. And he's 100% right. On the total side, you have to null out, which I think is just the fastest way to say uh, make it a hit. Basically treat it like they got the totals numbers right for these guys that missed most of the season due to injury. And then you can look at it from a little bit of a different standpoint because there is something we can still take away from the total side. Guys that had... Little stuff. Nagging injuries. What did that do to the number? Like, LeBron, he had his foot thing. What did he miss? Like, three weeks with that? Three and a half weeks? That's a medium-sized injury. Yeah. Um, Paul George had a, a an array of things, as per usual. So there are things we can get from the totals side. But by and large, the totals numbers on this board should be used more so as a supplement to the per game numbers on this board. And it's a shame that I put one, I should have put the per game stuff on the left, so it made it all easier to look at, but I didn't. So again, you know, screw it all. That's just the way I built it. So what I think we're going to do is we're going to put a pin in things today because um, we're like 20-some-odd minutes into this discussion and, and there's no reason to do 30, 40 minutes of hard math on any show right now. But the lesson from day one was what I just said, which is that the totals here should be used as a supplement to the per-game numbers. The per-game numbers so far suggest that... You know, the funny thing is, I can flip back to last year, if people are at all interested in this. Last year, uh, at the end of the first round, the um, absolute value miss size was 5.9, largely due to Luka Doncic being not very good either. It um, was at number 28 last year. And interestingly, again, that absolute value miss size, if you want to call it that, last year was pretty good for, like, the first 13 picks again per game. Pick 14. I don't know why. Last year, it was uh, Bradley Beal who had the bad per-game number at pick 14. And uh, this year, it was what? Trey Young, who had the bad per-game number at pick 14. Not quite as bad as Beal, mind you, but uh, still not very good. What I would argue is that Last year, the year before that even a little bit, COVID years, everything was weird. This year, with the exception of the fact that guys still miss a crap ton of basketball games, we can all predict a little bit better on that front, on the health front, but also predict a little bit better on the per-game front, Because remember how much movement there was two years ago? It was one of the... And even last year, it was some of the most obscene levels of movement we've seen from player personnel in, like, decades. And so, two years ago, everybody missed everything. Last year, pretty much everybody that had a pick near the turn just got screwed by um, guys like PG missing a ton of time and AD missing a ton of time. And, like, the only guy near the turn that had success last year was Trey Young, Um, this year, guys near the turn were much better. They were much healthier also, uh, by and large, not, not all of them. Uh, (laughs) Dame, remember he ended up kind of getting semi shut down, but he was great while he was in there is Lamello. Lamello was the guy near the turn that had health issues, but, um, overall those guys in that 10, 11, 12, 13 range, uh, were mostly upright this year. Only Lamello. Then once you got to uh, Booker, that's where you started to have some injury stuff again. Booker, AD, Braun, PG, those guys were pushed a little bit farther down the board this season, which honestly, it should be. If you get stuck with picks on the turn, you shouldn't have two guys that totally crap themselves like last year. The guys that poop themselves in the second round should be closer to the back end of the second round, so that way if... Whoever's getting those guys, at least they got to pair them up with Jokic. So it's like, all right, I got Jokic, I can hang in there if my late second rounder doesn't pan out as well. I was hoping that this was what we would see. I know that that's like, I'm going to go down another rabbit hole here, but last year was kind of impossible to win if you had a pick near the end of the first round. It was almost impossible. And I know that looking at the numbers here on the screen on YouTube, Joel Embiid had an ADP like near 10 supposedly last year, but that wasn't true. He he consistently went between 3 and 7. The guys that went near the end of the first round last season were Anthony Davis, Trey Young, Paul George, and Bradley Beal, and sometimes Jimmy Butler was sort of sneaking into that mix as well. Of those guys, AD, PG, and Beal, out of like basically four picks, 11, 12, 13, 14, Three of those four guys barely made it through part of a season. It was absolutely atrocious. You had no chance to compete in your league if you had a pick on the turn last year. None. I'm exaggerating a little bit because I'm sure some folks were like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go Braun, who ended up having a better year last season. But if you went with the guys that were generally like consensus, these are the dudes you could take some swings on. Because like Anthony Davis per game last year was 10. And Paul George was 16, so like that side was okay, but dudes didn't play. If the only way that you competed if you had a pick on the turn was if you got Trey Young and then like dug down farther to go get a big man and got like Vooch or went real early on Gobert or something like that. Because the rest of it, what a mess in that range last season. Luckily it went back to normal this year. Last year was very much the anomaly in terms of guys at the back end of the first round just being awful all season long. Most of the time, those dudes are okay. They might not be as great as the guy getting drafted at the very tippy top, but they're usually okay. And for one year, they were horrible, and now we're okay again. Phew. Okay, break time on numbers. Very quickly, here's what's going on in the NBA. Warriors bounced back, beat the crap out of the Lakers as uh, we thought it might happen because this Lakers team, we've seen enough now. Whoa, something just fell off the other side of the bed. I don't know what that was. Uh, <laughs> Hope the dog is okay. We've seen the this Lakers team enough to know that when they steal one on the road, they immediately go back into their shell. They did it in Memphis twice. Basically, they did it in Memphis where they had a chance to kind of go ahead and put the, the stomp, the foot down. And both times they just sort of let it go. Uh, These are the AD... Isn't involved games for LA, and I guess if you're a Lakers fan, you look at this like, well, you know what? At least it came on a game where Klay Thompson went f- full inferno mode, and the Dub shot 51 percent and hit 21 three pointers, shot 50 percent from downtown as well. Wiggins hit two, Moses Moody hit two, Jamichael Green hit three. Yeah, you ain't winning that ball game. LeBron was a little bit better, I guess that was something for LA, but. Um, from a schematic standpoint, the Warriors just decimated the Lakers in this game. They pick and roll with uh, Draymond as the, the roll man, forcing the Lakers to bring somebody down. Lakers were trying to basically keep Steph. So they brought the big man up, and then they had the Steph's defender kind of trailing him a little bit. But then there was nobody there to deal with Dray. So Lakers will have some kind of adjustment for that. This was something the Warriors ran against the Cavs a ton way, way back. Um, and there will be the next thing that each side does. I get the feeling, and I think I said something to this effect on yesterday's show, that if there was a game that the Lakers could just sort of lob one in there and say, all right, well, let's see what the Warriors are going to do because they badly need this ball game. They're going to pull out all the stops to get it, they're going to have to use up kind of the full bag of tricks. This wasn't a game where the Warriors would be like, all right, well, we're going to make one little tweak here and see if that gets us over the hump. This was the we-can't-screw-around game. We got to use everything at our disposal to get it. And so now for the Lakers, it's like, all right, well, we know exactly what they want to do at both ends of the court now. Now we make our adjustments. How long before the teams can just kind of snuff each other out? I think the Lakers probably have a better offensive game in Game 3. I think the Warriors have a... Worse offensive game in Game 3, but honestly, the law of averages would suggest that that's going to happen anyway, because dudes were—even for a, even for a good shooting team, that was a very impressive three-point shooting exhibition by Golden State. But I'm thinking that probably by Game 4 of this series is when you start to see it slow down a little bit. I don't think we're quite there yet. I think the Lakers have one big offensive pivot in their book that we'll probably see for Game 3. Lakers probably win Game 3. And then Game 4, I think you're going to see kind of the old-fashioned barn burner type. We'll see, I guess. What about tonight? Uh, Well, it's Friday, so we're going to do the whole weekend here. Everybody plays today or tomorrow. Celtics, 2.5-point road favorites at the 76ers. Total of 214.5. I have to admit, I don't have a really good feel for what this series is going to look like now that Embiid is back and the hope is that he's kind of shaken off the rust. Um, In the last ball game, I said I thought that the total would go under because I thought Embiid was going to have himself a very disjointed game, and he kind of did. But, I mean, the Celtics hit 23-pointers. They didn't shoot all that great from the field, but that's because they made so many from downtown. So you didn't need the field goal percent to be 50 like the Warriors if you're going to make 23s. Uh Philly will be better. How much better? It's hard to say. To me, this is a really tough one to handicap. 214 and a half. The total feels extremely low. Um. Yeah, I want nothing to do with this one. Nuggets Suns. Suns, four point home favorites. Nuggets are a total of two twenty-four and a half. That's down from two twenty five. The side is pretty much static right now. This is going to be a game where I I want to try to get back on the Nuggets again, but only getting four is not quite enough for me. My thought here is we're going to learn a lot about who the Nuggets are in this postseason because they didn't really get tested by Minnesota in the first round. They haven't really been tested by this Suns team yet that's likely still missing Chris Paul. This Suns team doesn't feel to me like a club that's playoff ready, but if the Nuggets take this game lightly, then the Suns have so much offensive firepower in Booker and Durant that they would just sort of steal it with offense. So if anything, the way to look at this ballgame is kind of a correlated parlay, and parlays in general are pretty much a terrible decision. The only parlay you should pretty much ever consider in wagering is what's known as a correlated parlay, where you feel like if one thing happens, another thing will definitely happen. They call them same-game parlays in some places that some spots they don't even allow them because they know that's where you can actually get a little bit of an edge. Different multi-game parlays are just the worst. They're just the worst because you need too many things to happen to actually cash a ticket and the odds are not good enough to make it worthwhile. Correlated, same game that is parlays are where you look at this one and you're like, okay, well, if we think the Nuggets take this game lightly, then the Suns win and it probably goes over. If we think the Nuggets take this game seriously, then they cover and it probably goes under. Not that I necessarily believe either of those is the way to go. But if I was going to look at either one of those, I would consider thinking, eh, maybe the Nuggets do take their foot off the gas a little bit. Try to win this one with offense. Total goes up. Last game was super low scoring. Maybe the Suns do cover. Myself, personally, not playing this one. What about Saturday? Knicks at Heat. Miami, minus four. Sounds like Jimmy Butler is going to probably play in that game. I don't know how you make a wager on it without knowing his status, though which does make it a really tough game to handicap. Um, I think the Heat have a really nice shot. Knicks are always, you're going to be paying a little bit of a premium to get on them. Again, I don't think you can bet this game until you know what's up with Butler. If you assume he's in, then you probably have to like the Miami side a little bit. They've been very competitive in these playoffs, and they almost won that game in New York without Butler. In the last contest, total of 209. Uh, That's probably relatively accurate from a pace standpoint. Last game ended at 216 because the teams hit a bunch of three pointers. If they miss a couple of those, the game lands right on the number. Slight lean to the heat, but can't do anything without Butler news. And then as we talked about Lakers Warriors, Lakers open as a one and a half point favorite bounced up to two and a half, which is really intriguing uh, when you consider the fact that the Warriors just trounced them. So there is an expectation that the Lakers have a move in their in their chamber. Total of 226 and a half for that ball game. I actually slightly lean to the over actually. Um I don't think the Lakers could have played almost any worse on offense in game 2. Yes, the Warriors will take a step back offensively. Um they won't put up 127 by themselves, but we won't need them to. We won't need them to. Pace was plenty in this ball game to get you to a pretty good size number. Uh, Lakers and Warriors both missed a bunch of free throws. Lakers missed most of their shots in the ball game. Uh, again, I mean there was just like there was plenty of opportunity for the Lakers to score 110, 112 points. And for the Warriors, they they did what they needed to do. They, they overshot their mark. But you know, 227 that that game got to, Was a very achievable number. And like I said, I think this series slows down in Game 4. So slight lean to the over. You guys know I hate betting overs in the playoffs, so I probably won't do it. And then slight lean to the Lakers also to make those key adjustments. Because what the Warriors did was not supremely complicated stuff. I gotta think that there's a pretty good counter to that. And then we'll see if the Warriors have kind of the counter to the counter. But either way, should be fun. Playoffs. Enjoying them this year, really enjoying them this year. They've been a lot of fun. On Monday, we're either going to do more math or we're going to talk about a team. I'm now two game. I'm two teams behind Sports Ethos, son of a gun. Uh, our new content director, Keith Cork, talked about the Wizards two days ago, and uh, Wendell put out a piece on the Jazz today over at SportsEthos.com. So I'm two teams behind. So we'll probably do one of the teams on Monday. Um, but we also still have more lessons learned, and we have this whole series about how Yahoo's X-Rank did and what we can learn from them. we got lots to cover right now. But you know what? That's a good problem to have, because at some point this offseason, we're not going to have that problem, and then I'm going to get bored. Like and subscribe if you're hanging out with us on YouTube for the first time. You don't have to do those things if you're hanging out with us on the recorded podcast side, but I'd love it if any of you finding this for a first time hits me up on Twitter at Dan Vesperus. We continue to recruit by the way, and I may have some open podcast positions that I may might perhaps be posting about on social media in the not too distant future. Please make sure you're hanging out with me over there again. It's at Dan Vesperus on Twitter. Have a lovely weekend, everybody off season. Week number four is in the books. That's twenty off-season shows. Okie dokie. We'll go do something else now. Everybody, go live your day. Later, we'll see you Monday.